0: Numbers, chapter number seven, please. Right after our Easter, right after our Easter time, we're going to be doing a very short mini-series on um, protecting yourself from false teachers. And, And so we'll be doing about two or three, four lessons on that. Um, and, uh, and in the coming weeks, we're going to be kind of digging into the crucifixion uh, of Christ and Easter. Um, one of my goals for Sparrow Baptist Church is for us to actually be able to have a couple of days leading up to Easter, like the Friday and Saturday, have like a short service in the coming years, just to let you know, I'm warning you, right? Uh, in the coming years, not this year, but in the coming years, we'll have like a Friday- where we uh, talk about the crucifixion and then like a short service on Saturday and we could talk about um, you know, some, some aspect of the crucifixion or uh, some, some, some part of maybe the Garden of Gethsemane or something like that. So actually kind of following in the footsteps, uh, so to speak, of, of Christ, not in the Catholic tradition where we would try to do things in like a ritualistic way, not at all, um, but just to kind of help us get in that mindset of really what Christ did for us in those moments because when it comes to a Christian and Christianity everything comes down to those 3 or 4 days it comes down to the crucifixion the time that Christ spent in the tomb and his resurrection of course easter is the celebration of the resurrection of Christ and uh and so but but for us to take the time and go through uh the crucifixion is is so good for us as Christians to revisit that time and time again and so um just to kind of let you know a little bit of what the preaching is going to be in the coming weeks, okay? Just kind of let you know what we're doing there. But today we have a sermon entitled, No Wagons for Kohath. And um, we will uh, dig into this passage and very excited about the truth that God has for us here. Um, And so in verse number one, in Numbers chapter seven, in verse number one, we're gonna look here and it says, and it came to pass on the day that Moses had fully set up the tabernacle And had anointed it and sanctified it, and all the instruments thereof, both the altar and all the vessels thereof, and had anointed them and sanctified them, that the princes of Israel, heads of the house of their fathers, who were the princes of the tribes, and were over them that were numbered, offered. And they brought their offering before the Lord six covered wagons and 12 oxen. A wagon for two of the princes and for each one an ox and they brought them before the tabernacle. And the Lord spake unto Moses saying, take it of them that they may be to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation and thou shalt give them unto the Levites to every man according to his service. And Moses took the wagons and the oxen and gave them unto the Levites. Two wagons and four oxen, he gave unto the sons of Gershon according to their service. And four wagons and eight oxen, he gave unto the sons of Merari according unto their service Under the hand of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. Look at verse 9. But unto the sons of Kohath he gave none. Because the service of the sanctuary belonging unto them was that they should bear upon their shoulders. No wagons for Kohath. What does it mean to not have a wagon? What are we talking about here? We're going to jump into this right after we pray. Lord God, I thank you for this opportunity to worship you through the preaching of your word. We want to listen to you. Father, not just an an academic exercise of understanding what your word says, but we want to listen with spiritual ears. God, we want to listen from our heart. Father, if someone is here today and they've never trusted you as their savior, they have doubts about their salvation. I pray that today they would be saved. God, for those of us who are saved, help us to understand that just because in life we may not have something that someone else has doesn't mean you don't love us. Please help me as I preach. Jesus' name I pray, amen. Have you ever been upset that God sometimes doesn't seem like he's fair? That life is not fair? You begin to blame God, you can even get upset at him, that God is not fair. We're going to look at a story here about three groups of people. At one time, they were three brothers Their father was Levi, and so their whole family is called the Levites. These were priests. And the three sons are the ones mentioned in the verses 7 through 9. The first first group, their family is called Gershon. So even think of that as their last name. Not necessarily, but that's kind of a nice way to think about it. But it was a family, Gershon. Merari is the second one, and then The last one would be Kohath. So as we enter into understanding this passage, in verse number one, what is going on? We have to answer that question. If you want to know and understand your Bible, what is God talking about? You have to ask the question, what's happening here? Okay, we can't just take one verse and hold on to that verse. Okay, we can't make it mean what we want it to mean. To be honest with ourselves and honest with God's word, we have to try to understand what's happening. Okay, that's called trying to understand the context or what is happening in the story so that we understand these few lines that are being written. Um, And so just to kind of challenge you when you're reading your Bible, we should all read our Bibles. Amen. Amen. Okay, if you're confused and we all get confused. What do we do when we're confused? Back up. Sometimes you need to back up even a couple of chapters. Okay? And take the time to understand what is the big picture. Okay? Nowadays, uh, and I use this illustration all the time, with digital technology, if you zoom in really, really close on a poor photograph taken with a digital camera, what happens to the photograph? It becomes pixelated. Right? It's just these little tiny squares and boxes of color. You have no idea what it is. You have to zoom back out and then it becomes clear. And so we need to understand that that's what we're going to do in this chapter in order to understand what's happening. So in verse number one, as we zoom out just a moment, we have the person of Moses. Now, Moses was called by God to deliver the children of Israel from Egyptian bondage. They were slaves in Egypt. 430 years. Now think about the fact that here in Canada, Canada, Canada's charter's only been, we've only been a country for, for about 150 years, a little over 150 years. Okay. So by comparison of how long the Hebrews were in Egypt, 430 years, that's a really long time. Okay. Now they got to Egypt because when the, when the family was very small, only 80 people, Joseph went to Egypt. This is what we're studying on Wednesday nights. Okay, there was a big famine. It didn't rain for many, many years. And so the family, the Hebrew family or Jacob's family uh, came down into Egypt to get food and they stayed there. And as they stayed there, they stayed there for many, many years. The Egyptians were a powerful nation. And as the Hebrews begin to grow, as their nation began to, 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 to grow in number, And grow in strength. They became afraid of them. And so they began to enslave them. They forced them to work for Pharaoh's different building projects. And of course, without pay. And so they were slaves. And because of the slavery, they cried unto God. And God sent them a deliverer, Moses. Moses came and there were 10 plagues, miraculous plagues that came on Egypt. And finally, Pharaoh, who was like the king, he finally let the people go. And so they crossed over the Red Sea, that beautiful story, and they crossed over the Red Sea, and now they're in really kind of the wilderness area. They're not yet to the promised land. They're on their way from Egypt to what nowadays we would call Israel, right? That particular area of the world. And they're walking there. And there's about 3 million people. We have to understand that if this is going to make sense, we have to understand that Theologically, what we're talking about here, if we're going to understand this, this, the the picture of them leaving Egypt, Egypt is always a picture of the world in the Bible. They're leaving Egypt and they're on their way to the promised land. Okay, leaving Egypt and crossing over the Red Sea. That's a picture of salvation. If you remember the story, we're not going to take the time to look up all the verses, but they had uh, one particular night called the Passover. And Jewish people still celebrate this today. And the Passover, they kill a small lamb and they take the blood and they put the blood uh, in the the story. They put the blood over the, the mantle of the door, over the top and over both of the sides. And that's a picture of Jesus, the innocent son of God, the lamb of God, as John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so everything that we see here in the Old Testament points us to Jesus Christ. This is one of the reasons why we have the Old Testament is so that we know that Jesus is not an imposter. If you have doubts about the Bible or doubts on whether or not this is really true, take into consideration that over 1600 years... This Bible was written. It took that long to write it over many time periods and everything is perfectly in line with one another. And these were pictures and types. Listen, God did not give human beings a photograph of Jesus and said, so this is what he's going to look like when he comes. Okay. See, there he is. No, instead he used things like the Passover lamp and like the tabernacle and all of these things so that people would know, oh, this is Jesus. He's really here to take away the sin of the world. I'm going to read a verse for us in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 10 if you want to turn there you can. If you've never accepted Jesus as your savior, the whole bit about no wagons for Kohath, it does apply but it doesn't quite yet apply. Okay? And so we before we before we get to this whole story, we have to understand This message mostly is for people that have already been saved. They're already Christians. They've already trusted Jesus as their savior. It doesn't mean you believe in God. It means you've given your heart to Jesus. You've asked him to come into your heart and into your life. You've trusted him to forgive you of your sin and take your sin away. And that's what he did for us on the cross. He appeased God's judgment by his self-sacrifice on the cross. He paid for our sin. God has to judge sin. He's responsible to judge the sin of the world. Listen, if he let all of the sin of the world just go unnoticed, he would not be a just God. He would not be a good God. He has a responsibility to judge the sin of the world. So what is going to appease God's judgment? It's going to be a sacrifice for sin. What is that sacrifice for sin? It is not what, it is who, and it is Jesus Christ. And that's what he did for us. So when we accept and believe that what he did on the cross for us can take away our sin, then at that moment, Bible calls that being born again. And that's when you truly become a Christian is Jesus gives you a new heart because now your sin is taken away. Isn't that true? Am I speaking the truth? Amen, that's exactly what scripture teaches us. Hebrews 10, and it says in verse number 10, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And if you go back to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 13 and 14, it says, For if the blood of bulls and of goats, remember they offered Animal sacrifices. Why did God do that? Because he hates animals? No, the opposite's true. He loves animals. But he had to show us as human beings the real price for our sin. Because when we lie to somebody, we commit murder, we commit adultery, we we, 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 uh, we have lust in our heart, and on and on and on it goes. We think, oh, it's fine. Oh, it's fine. Oh, it's fine. Oh, it's fine. But we still feel that guilt. There's something inside and so God said in order for, to, to, to one, to show that Jesus Christ one day is going to come is the primary reason. But they had these blood sacrifices to show us that something has to die. The wages of sin is death. Now we're gonna die, but in order to have your sins forgiven back then, you had to show by these, these animal sacrifices. But then that's why Jesus came is that he's the one sacrifice for all of sin. So notice verse 13, 14. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How do we get the blood of Christ? To cleanse us and wash away our sin. We do that by faith. This is why religion can't save anybody. Pastor, I want to get baptized. Listen, your conscience will still hold on to those sins. Only the blood of Christ can cleanse our conscience. Amen. Those past things that we feel guilty about, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, don't allow Satan to make you feel guilty about those things. You have been forgiven. When Christians talk about pleading the blood, that's what we're talking about. We are reminding ourselves and reminding our accuser. Who's our accuser? Satan. Satan. We're reminding him, hey, those things that I, that I did, I don't do them anymore. And that's not me anymore because I've been washed in the blood of Christ. He completely washed all of those things away. And we need to habitually remind ourselves I have been washed in the blood. And again, we go back to our story now in in Numbers chapter number seven. And we're going to look at the fact that, yes, they've been washed in the blood in the sense that they they put the blood over their doorposts. The death angel came over and they passed over them. And now they've been delivered from Egyptian bondage. And now they're on their way to the promised land. But he wants them to worship and so this was the day where he says, I fully set up the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a temporary place of worship. It was like a large tent, not really like a church, but it was a tent. And in this tent, they, um, they worshiped the Lord. And so this was, the day that they, the, this was the day that they fully set it up. And so this was the time, the grand opening day is what we're talking about. So everything had been built, everything had been made, and, and everything had been sanctified, and everything was ready and so when we get to verse number one, we're talking about Moses. He's the leader and he fully set everything up. And, and, and here's the tabernacle, this beautiful, beautiful tent and all of the various items inside. And then it says in verse number two, that the princes of Israel, heads of the houses of their fathers who were the princes of the tribes and were over them that were numbered, offered. So we've got 12 leaders, right? And these are the princes or the, the leaders of each of the tribes. And each of these leaders brings an offering for the Lord. And these offerings are put inside of wagons, right? And so all of the offerings, and if you look in your Bible and you scroll to the bottom or you flip the pages, this chapter goes all the way to verse number 89. Don't worry, we're not going to read 89 verses. It would take a while. But you would know that the, the offerings that they brought, they were all exactly the same. They all, all 12 of these men, they brought exactly the same thing. But they didn't carry them in their hands. They put them in wagons. So there were six wagons and there were how many oxen? Twelve oxen. So each wagon had two oxen. So there were twelve oxen uh, and there were six wagons. So when they bring these items up to the the front of the tabernacle, they're going to take all of the stuff out for worship. Right, Incense and different animals and various golden items and things like this. And they're gonna be used for worship in the tabernacle. But then it's like, what are we gonna do with these oxen and these wagons? Should we just burn them? Should we just get throw them away? Should we toss them out? And God tells us in verse number five, the Lord's speaking to Moses, verse four, verse five, take it of them. So take the offerings, but also, hey, let's use these wagons, these covered wagons. Can I say this? God is always interested in what is left over in your life. He doesn't want to throw anything away. Look at me. You may think, well, I haven't served the Lord from a young age. And so I don't have as much to give as someone else has to give. He doesn't want you to throw your life away because your life isn't the same as someone else's. Listen, he's not just interested in scooping only the good things out of you and leaving whatever is not just what, 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 no, he he wants all of you. Anything we give him, he says, yes, I I can use that. I can, yes, I can use these beautiful items inside, but I can use those wagons and I can use those oxen. God doesn't want to throw anything away and he doesn't want to throw you away and he doesn't want to throw anything away that you have to offer him. So as they take these, 12 oxen and six wagons. The instructions from God in verse five say, thou shalt give them unto the Levites to every man according to his service. So for the jobs that they have to do, give them these wagons and these oxen for the jobs that they have to do. Now let's take a look at what jobs they have to do. Verse seven, two wagons and four oxen he gave unto the sons of Gershon. Now, if you have your Bible, flip over to Numbers 4. And what was their service? So these sons, these sons of Gershon, when they divided up all of the jobs connected to the tabernacle, remember the tabernacle was temporary. It was like tent camping. How many of you guys like tent camping? Two hands in the whole building. Nobody likes to camp in a tent. You know what the worst part about camping in a tent? Camping in a tent. The ground is hard, unless you have a good air mattress which you don't find out until it's about three in the morning and your air mattress is, <laughs> and you're just lying on this hard ground. It's like, I really like houses. I really like beds with pillows. Amen. I'm to the age now when I leave home and have to go somewhere else to sleep vacation, even vacation, hotels, work, work related things. I like my own bed. Amen? Amen. Amen. okay, so keep in mind here, keep in mind here that when we're talking about the tabernacle we're talking about a tent, a big, big, big tent that had to be taken down and folded up and carried to the next camping place because they're on their way somewhere, right? So notice in chapter four, numbers four in verse number twenty one. Uh, Let's jump down to verse 24. This is the service of the families of the Gershonites to serve and for burdens. They shall bear the curtains of the tabernacle and the tabernacle of the congregation, his covering and the covering of the badger skins that is upon it. So these are, it, the, the, the tabernacle was made in layers. So it's gonna describe just a few of the later layers, but we understand here, it's talking about layers and layers of fabric. That were made of various things, including badger skins. Can you imagine going camping at the provincial park with a badger skin tent? How cool would that be? It'd be nice and dark in there, I tell you that. Right? There's no sunlight getting in there. By the way, if I'm being funny, you're allowed to laugh. Help me out, please. Okay? Okay, here we go. All right, maybe I just think I'm being funny. That's okay, too. Okay, so let's go back to numbers. So we're going back and forth to numbers four and seven, just real quick so we can get an idea. So back to number seven, and I'm just flipping back and forth in my Bible. Number seven, and verse seven. Two wagons and four oxen, he gave them to the sons of Gershon according to their service. So their, their job was soft goods. Okay, so Gershon, their job was? Soft goods. Let's say it again. Gershon, their job was? Soft goods, right? And so it had everything that they, had. they, they could fold it all up and they got two wagons to put all of this heavy, heavy fabric and they rolled it up right and they put it in these wagons and they had four oxen now the next one we can see here in verse number eight and four wagons and eight oxen he gave into the sons of Merari okay now if we flip back to numbers four we'll go to verse number 30 verse 29 As for the sons of Merari, verse 30, from 30 years old and upward, even unto 50 years and verse 31. And this is the charge of their burden according to all their service in the tabernacle of the congregation, the boards of the tabernacle and the bars thereof and the pillars thereof and sockets thereof. Okay, now let's stop right there because it goes through more details. We're not going to take the time to go through that. This is the hard goods. So Gershon was soft goods, and Merari was hard goods, right? So what is this? This is all the tent poles, right? So if you really study the tabernacle, it was this big giant tent, but also they had like a fencing that was around it. And the fencing was made up of fabric as well, right? So Gershon had all, they had, their job was to carry all of the soft stuff. So can you imagine trying to carry this massive tent through the desert? God's like, no, no. When I give you something to carry, I'm gonna give you wagons for it, Right? He didn't expect for them to carry this giant tent, nor did he expect for them to take it apart and to resew it every time, right? Amen. Let's think about that. When God gives us something in our life to carry, when he gives us problems to carry, when he gives us difficulties to carry, he doesn't give us something that is too heavy for us to carry. Is that true? That's true. That's what we're learning from scripture. He told them in chapter, listen, he told them in chapter four, you're gonna carry all the soft goods. And they're looking at this tabernacle like, this thing's huge. How are we gonna carry that? Now, there are some people like me will be like, ah, we'll figure it out. You've got other people that are sitting there and they're sketching out. Well, if we got six guys on this side and eight guys on that side, we're gonna carry it up. Maybe we're gonna carry, right? So in chapter four, God's telling them, you have to carry this. Then in chapter number seven, he says, oh, now you get wagons. Isn't that awesome? You get help. God gives you the grace to carry what you need to carry. But then we get to Merari, and their job was all the hard stuff. So we're talking about all the tent poles and all the sockets and all the things that were really hard. Imagine going through the desert with a big arm of tent poles and not the nice little slender ones we have for our tents nowadays. Big ones made out of made out of wood that's covered in gold (coughs) you're thinking lord i can't carry that god you've given me this to carry how am i supposed to carry that god says you get four wagons and eight oxen now back to chapter seven and we're going to talk about kohath for the rest of our time together Verse nine, but unto the sons of Kohath, he gave, what does it say? None. None. Now it starts out, it seems kind of fair, right? It says in, in verse seven, Gershon, they get, they get two wagons and four oxen. But then all of a sudden now to Merari, they get four and eight. and he's And here's Kohath sitting there thinking, hey, This doesn't seem fair. Why don't we get me wagons? The answer is in what they were responsible to carry and why they had to carry it. Let's go to chapter four and verse four. This shall be the service of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation about the most holy things. And if you look on verse five all the way down to verse number 15, we're not going to take the time to go through all of that. There was various pieces of furniture inside this tabernacle, the tent. So there was the innermost part called the Holy of Holies. That's a tent. And then there was a big tent covering that small tent. And that was called the Holy Place. But then the Holy of Holies was the inside inside. Anybody know what's in on the inside inside? What was in there? One thing. The Ark of the Covenant. This was the place where once a year, the high priest who was Aaron at this time came in on one very special day and offered a blood sacrifice For the sins of all the people. And this very special piece. Now again, all of this points to Jesus Christ. I don't have time to go through and, and tell you all of what this stuff means. But all of this stuff points to Jesus Christ. And it's really important to God. And when they would move, they couldn't just rip the tent off. And here's all this holy stuff. It was all covered up. No one could go in. You couldn't go into this place unless you were a Levite. And you couldn't go into the Holy of Holies unless you were the high priest you say well what does that mean it means it all points to jesus christ you see because not anyone can pay for their own sin there's only one that can pay for the sin and that's jesus christ amen and so there's little things like this when you read your bible if you're curious about what it's talking about figure out how does this point to jesus in the old testament and it starts to make sense but when they would move, before they started tearing everything down, they had to take special coverings, the high priest and those who were working with him, and they had to go and they had to cover everything up because it wasn't just meant to be out there in the sunlight. Amen. Now, again, if you think in your mind a little bit, those of you who are maybe a little bit more in tune with your Bible, remember when Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished. What happened to the veil in the temple? It was ripped. You see, listen, when Jesus came to this earth, the mystery was gone. He is now the connection between us and God the Father. But back then, it was mysterious. They didn't quite understand what was going on. And even listen, even when they were supposed to carry it, they never got a really good look at it. Because Aaron and his sons, before they moved the camp and before they folded everything up, they came and they covered it all up. Because it was most holy, most special, most sanctified and separate only for a very specific purpose. Let me tell you, friends, there are things that we have to carry in this life that others do not have to carry. There may be a family situation and you look at other people and you think, why do they get wagons? And I don't get wagons. Why is it so easy for them and it's not easy for me? Maybe there's something from your particular background. Maybe even a race. Something connected with your race. I don't know. Maybe there's some kind of bad experience. Maybe it's something that you couldn't control. Something that happened with your parents. Something kind of kind of like the home you grew up in. Maybe it's something that if you had a choice in your life, you would, you would change it. And you look at other people, you're thinking, Pastor, what is it in my life that, that you're talking about? Well, I don't know. I'm asking the Lord to apply it to your heart. But oftentimes it's the thing in our life that we look at other people and we're envious about. Well, how come they get And I don't. Then you look at other people and they have even more. They get four wagons in this area. Why why is it so hard for me? Let me tell you something. If it's hard for you, it's because what God wants you to carry with a good attitude for him, it's very special to him that you carry it. God is not unfair to the sons of Kohath that they don't get any wagons. The opposite is true if you begin to understand what they were really carrying. They were carrying things that without these particular items in that particular time in history. Again, history has changed. We're in the New Testament age. But in the Old Testament age, if they didn't carry it, God wouldn't have been down there communicating with them. Notice in chapter 7. And I'll just make a few comments and we're not going to take any more time on this lesson than we need to go. But Numbers chapter number seven and verse number 89. So this is at the end, the end of all of it. After it goes through all of the offerings and the wagons and all this stuff. Verse number 89, it says, and when Moses was gone into the tabernacle of the congregation, tabernacle, that's the big tent, tabernacle of the congregation, meaning this is the congregation was all of the people. So this was the tent. This was the meeting place for the people and God to meet together. That's what it's saying. To speak with him. Now notice when Moses was gone into the tabernacle of the congregation to speak with him, to speak with who? To speak with God. Then he heard the voice of one speaking unto him from off the mercy seat that was upon the ark of testimony from between the two cherubims and he spake unto him. Why did they have to carry these things? Because if they didn't carry them, how was God gonna speak to the people? These items in that particular time in history were necessary For God to speak to the people. Again, all pointing to New Testament truth. The blood sacrifice had to be there. The high priest had to be there. The offering had to be there. The specific furnitures had to be there. Well, the furniture couldn't have been there if people didn't carry it. There are some things that are too precious to be banging around in the back of a wagon. And if there's something that's heavy in your life or something that's difficult in your life, God has given you that And he's given you that to carry on your shoulders. And when we carry it on our shoulders, it is worship to God. He's delivered us from Egyptian bondage. Listen, hey, friend, don't miss this point. Sometimes we look at life and we think, why do I have to carry anything? Why can't my life just be perfect? Why can't God save me and and life just be perfect? Well, that's a big question. But we have to understand that these people, before they were delivered, what were they carrying? They were slaves. They listen. They had to carry whatever their task masters told them to carry. Oftentimes, we think in life that, the, that when we get saved or why, uh, that, that that we shouldn't have to carry anything. I just want to live this carefree life and do whatever I want to you will either carry what God says to carry or you will carry what Satan tells you to carry and what your sin nature tells you to carry. You think, I don't think that's true. Okay, let's go to Romans 6. We're almost done. Really, we are. Romans 6 and verse 13. It says in verse 11, Romans 6 and verse 11, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Reign means have control of, right? So again, we're talking about control. Who has control of my life? Well, it's either going to be, there are two choices, guys, two. It's either going to be sin, Or Jesus, when we say, I want me to have the control, what you're really saying is I'm giving control to sin. Now, Satan lies to us about that. And he says, no, no, you're the one that's really taking control of your life. But that's not what God tells us. Because when I say I have control, I'm giving myself over to my sin nature, my old nature. And I'm saying, old Corey, not Pastor Corey, not the person who's living right now, like a saved person, and doing what God wants me to do. Old Corey, whatever you, whatever you want to do, you do it. Well, I'm just going to follow those lusts, those desires, those imaginations. I'm just going to follow it. Whatever I want, whatever I feel like, whatever I want to do. And then what happens when I do that? Well, then I become in bondage. Not that I lose my salvation, but now I'm just like, I don't know what to do. And now I want these things and I'm going places and doing things and saying things. And listen, the biggest thing is you lose your connection with God. When we, at, when we say, God, I'll do what you want me to do. We're carrying the burden that God has put in our life. And in doing so, we're worshiping him. We're telling him it is worth it. It is worth it for me to carry what you've given me to carry. Yes, Lord, I will carry this. There are some people that think my life is so hard, I'm not going to church because God made my life hard. That doesn't make my life easier, it makes it harder. It doesn't. You're, you are about to go and get yourself and give yourself over to sinful desires. You're about to try to, you're about to, try to go and in, in, in build your life off selfishness instead of keeping God first. Verse 13, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, resurrection of Christ right there, living out in us every single day and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you for you're not under the law, but under grace. God is just. Deuteronomy 32 verse four, he is the rock His work is perfect for all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. We are either living our lives where we are the focus or God is the focus. And if God has given us something in life to carry and it seems like everybody else doesn't have to carry it. If I say, yes, God, I will carry this with a good attitude because you've, you've told me to, you've asked me to. We put ourselves in a closer relationship with God. He gives us grace. He gives us help. And he's there to guide us along the way. If we say, no, I refuse, you're really acting like you've never been delivered. You're really acting like you still belong back in in this particular story, back in Egypt. You're going backwards. You're not going forwards. The way to grow in your Christian life is to accept that what God has given you in this life, if you can't change it, if he's not answering prayers about it, then say, God, I will learn how to carry this for you. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.